I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Today, my guest is Dr. Imran Ahmad, who is a research assistant professor at Florida International University, where he's part of the Food, Agriculture, and Biotechnology Lab. His lab focuses on four core areas of food and beverage science, including studying product and process development for optimization of safety and quality, developing novel microorganisms for commercial applications, investigating sensory and consumer behavior, and conformance with regulations. Dr. Ahmad has expertise in post-harvest and food process engineering and is a lead instructor for produce safety and preventative control rules. Let's hear what Dr. Ahmad has to say on this episode of Water and Food. Hi, Dr. Ahmad. Thank you for coming on to the show. We appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for having me. I understand that you uh, are in the Food, Agriculture, and Biotechnology Lab at Florida International University. What is this lab? What do you do there? Yeah, well, uh, so Food, Agriculture, and Bioinnovation Lab, as we uh, call it, Fab Lab for short, <laughs> uh, is a part of uh, School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Mm-hmm. Uh, allow me to introduce you a little bit about, about school and university. Uh, the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management uh, is the eighth largest uh, school of hospitality in the country. And uh, on global ranking, we are number 33, I guess. Um, FYU itself is the largest Hispanic serving institute. We have over 60,000 students. That's a lot of number, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unlike traditional land-grant universities where you know food science component is usually part of agricultural departments, you know, agriculture studies. But here, um, a number of different departments like dietetics, nutrition, uh, agroecology itself, and then hospitality, uh, they do sort of things that fall under food science. So we uh, started um, almost seven years now uh, to work in this space, uh, partly because of uh, demand from local industry because in this uh, metro area there is no uh, university or any lab that provides food science related services so their research needs or you know product development needs so that's how we started and over a period of time with my other colleagues um, because i focus more on food and post-harvest like fresh produce and mm-hmm. my colleagues they work more in biotechnology so when we put that together so we came up with the name food agriculture and biotechnology innovation lab so that's how we started. Uh, well, we'll do all sort of uh, work that we'll be uh, talking later on the show. Sure. And I, I love that it's called the Fab Lab. That's, that's nice and easy yeah, to remember. Really and you, you talked about it just briefly there for a second, but how do you contribute to this lab? What What is your research about? Uh, well, um, I'm a food scientist by training. Uh, so anything related to food science in our school that uh, comes to me. So I, uh, not an official title, but uh, you can call me a lab director, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would uh, run the lab. Uh, I would make sure, you know, lab is in compliance with, you know, you know, local laws or university or food safety. Uh, and uh, I would work on um, securing funds, you know, uh, writing grants and, developing business as well as and then signing off you know finally we have a lab results so i'll double check cross check and validate the results and then i will sign off the lab reports that's a part of my uh you know the services we provide to the community Mm -hmm. but then we also work in uh research yourself so yeah all our grants our students that are working with us uh, everything comes out of this lab and i oversee that 
And who are some of the other members of this lab and, and what types of things do they research? Yeah, so mainly uh, we rely on our students. Mm-hmm. So I would say I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, ignore them by saying that uh, only the professors. No, so we heavily rely on our students, uh, just not for the training, but also they work for their own uh, thesis or research. So that's the main member that the bigger pool of our lab members. But my other colleagues, um, uh, at least. We have two more uh, permanent employees, uh, Dr. Julia Lopez. She is a food science PhD, and she works and contributes in her own area. Uh, previously, we had another professor of microbiology who would work in, uh, uh, I would say, genetic engineering of uh, common food strains, you know, um, yeast and bacterial strains. So his uh, area is slightly different than mine, but we work together uh we have another professor who is in gastronomy and he would work uh, more into culinary part of food science and then uh, there is another professor who is agroecologist we work together on post-harvest and fresh produce uh, Mm -hmm. aspects of uh, food science seems like a pretty uh well-rounded group and and i yeah we are are a small group but uh we cover different aspects of food science and Mm -hmm. food industry and I, I like how you point to your students and, and that's really nice that they can get involved and be a, a piece of this project as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have one doctoral student uh, who's working on uh, uh, tomatoes. Uh, basically, that's a, a good example of collaboration. So he works with another professor, Amir Khudamzadeh. He is a, a horticulturist, floriculturist by training. So the project is all about environmental stress on uh, tomatoes. Uh, they have... Uh, came up with a new type of uh, manure uh, fertilizer, biofertilizer. So they are looking at how uh, the final product, or I would say a fresh tomatoes will be different from a regular uh, cultivation practice. So we are helping them uh, look into more in detail how bioactive compounds or polyphenols or color or other uh, nutritive value is changed due to this new cultivation practice. So, you know, this is like, win-win situation for them. They produce on a farm level and we uh, evaluate their product for industry standards. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. How did you become an expert in in post-harvest and food process engineering? Well, uh, that's a long story. Uh, (laughs) uh, Like many other food scientists, I also am a graduate of food science. Um, I was doing my master's after I I finished my college and um, I got another scholarship from Asian Institute of Technology. It's located in Bangkok, Thailand. It's a engineering institute and is quite uh, prestigious and hard to get in Thai. But uh, during my halfway of my master's, I got a full scholarship from them. And I said, okay, this opportunity should not be missed. <laughs> so I moved there and uh, that school was focused on post-harvest and food process engineering. Little I knew at that time, but uh, when I started um after finishing my coursework, I, I was really, you know, sort of fell in love with process engineering and post-harvest. So that's how I started. Uh, so, you know, food process engineering is slightly different from uh, general food science. We learn more about, you know, heat transfer and drying. And uh, that brings me to, you know, water activity as well. But that's how I uh, started to develop my own uh, area of research. Uh and later on, I started to work in industry and uh, uh, all along uh, my professional career, 
I was uh, part of somehow, you know, food power development or any other aspect of food science, but I contributed from uh, engineering perspective. And what research projects are you are you working on now? What, what are you excited about that uh, you're working towards? Well, uh, like uh, you might have realized in our lab, we work on, you know, different multitude of uh, research. Uh, we have two, three different sources of um, you know, reaching to a research topic that we would, we would work on. So one is my own research, you know, that's just for the uh, sake of publication as a professor, I'm required to produce good quality research paper. So yes, I have uh, some of my own research projects. Then I have some uh, projects from industry, which are not really, I would, I would not say uh, at a cutting edge research, but mm-hmm. those are really designed to cater the needs for uh, needs of those um, industries. Some of, you know, we have NDAs are so really not going to talk about them. Uh, but then we have a funded research project from federal grants. So uh, right now we were working on non-thermal processing. Uh, so I'm looking at uh, uh, high hydrostatic pressure, HPP. So we are working on oat milk. Uh, the paper is ready to go. Uh, we are working with the uh, uh, company, the high, high hydrostatic pressure company, who is, I mean, that's not really uh, some secret research. It's like open. They want to share the results. So we are going to publish it soon. So we're looking at how hydrostatic pressure affects uh, oat milk extraction and you know, organo- organoleptic nutritive values. I'm also looking at high pressure uh, on uh, shrimp uh, shelf life extension, because, you know, once you apply very high pressure, uh, it's not really good for uh, muscle foods like I would say shrimp or any other uh, even let's say um, sh- chicken or meat because it uh, make the muscle too soft and the consumer really don't like that texture so we are looking at how we can really utilize high, high hydrostatic pressure at the same time we can maintain the texture that consumer would like so we have a, a number of different approaches we have um, used sous vide processing in combination with high pressure, we have used natural antimicrobials. So because FDA requires a five log reduction, and if we are reducing high hydrostatic pressure, HPP, uh, it may not kill microorganisms, so it will not pass FDA regulations. So we are looking at some other uh, techniques that we can still achieve five log reduction. So these are a few projects that are in final stage and ready to go. Uh, I can actually, talk a lot on this, but uh, <laughs> given the time, sure. I would mention these two. And uh, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you're working on a lot of different projects. I, I wonder which of these, um, do you use water activity measurements and, and how that is helping your research? Yeah, well, uh, any product that requires uh, water activity measurement, so we would measure. Uh, other than research, you know, uh, water activity is part of my regular teaching. Uh, in fact, you are a part of one of my uh, class, and thank you for doing that. Uh, so um, uh, I have uh, any new product development where we are looking at water activity to control uh, or um, maintain the product stability. Uh, we will use uh, water activity. Um, uh, if you allow me to take it back, I mean, my introduction with water activity was uh, back in I mean, 20 years back. Uh, I, I didn't know, but other than my textbook, I didn't know much about water activity. Uh, I was working on a guava puree. Uh, it was uh, a local product and had a lot of issues with stability. So we had an idea how if we can use some specialty sugars in low quantity 
low amounts without changing, altering the, uh, you know, new, uh, the flavor profile. So can we increase the shelf life? So water activity was the main uh, control measure for us. So that's how actually I started long back without having your uh, sophisticated instrument. At that time, we had uh, a 16 while apparatus where each while would have a different salt mm -hmm. and we will calculate manually. And then it was a really laborious job. Uh, but that uh, gave me a you know deeper insight how water activity works. I mean, I I, I just I don't want to be appear a boomer that you know in my time things were difficult. <laughs> but honestly, it, it it gave me an insight then how things are developed and now we have great instrument that we can give us data in five to ten minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and even now we can do it in in as fast as sixty seconds. And I I think a lot of people take it for granted. You know how you can just exactly. get that reading very quickly and have it automatically stored in in all of these other advantages because water activity and in, in isotherms used to take yeah. much longer uh, well, than they do now. I, I tell you, Doctor Cartwright, because being a professor, I want to teach students. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I give them the oldest model I have, which takes 20 minutes. So <laughs> I want them to feel a little bit. Yeah, of course, of course. The research needs patience. So you need to be very patient when you're doing that. <laughs> um, out of all of the research projects that you've done, is there a, a discovery or a certain <coughs> research project that, that you're most proud of that you would like to share with us? Uh, yeah, I definitely want to share. I mean, every uh, PhD would want to talk their own uh, PhD project. So I would take this opportunity to talk a little bit about it. Uh, it's not really directed with water activity, but I use water activity as a measure as well. So uh, when I was doing my PhD, uh, since uh, I, I like to work in like fresh produce or perishables, so I was looking for some product that would give me results quickly. So uh, me and my uh, advisor came up with shrimps. That's the shrimps goes by very, very quickly. So why don't we work on it so we don't have to wait for a very long time? So among biological materials, uh, shrimps can go back in three to four days. So I actually redesigned uh, um, fresh and frozen shrimp supply chain. Um, um, and then I used machine learning and artificial intelligence models to predict the end quality based on how shrimp handle during the production and supply chain. So it was a little bit off of my expertise, but I got to learn something new. Uh, so I we collected a lot of data right from the farm level and then how it is uh, handled, abused or misused uh, during uh, hand, uh, during you know transportation. And then when it reaches United States, what is the final quality? Because sometimes they are refrozen and we really don't know and it's being sold as fresh. Uh, and another issue we came across that uh, the shrimps are usually, um, you know, uh, there is a lot of illegal or uh, malpractice in this supply chain. So we actually collected a lot of data and then we fed all that data into our model and then uh, predicted the final quality. So uh, for the, uh, not the frozen, but the preserved stream, we also measured their uh, water activity, but that was not the main measure. We had other sure. uh, aspects. Um, so that's, I'm quite proud of it. I wanted to continue that work uh, because it gave us uh, more insights uh, into how we can use these modern tools of you know artificial intelligence machine learning in food because food is a little bit technologically laid back as compared to pharmaceutical industry auto industry i would say uh, chemical industry itself uh, so i think 
there are a lot of new developments that need to be implemented in food industry. So that's I'm a bit proud of. And I, you know, in my free time, I'm always thinking about these things. And I, I think uh, it's a good point. You know, whatever you do in your your grad research, you can never quite let go of it. It becomes you, a big you, you piece can, of your you know, story. You know, yeah. you know, sometimes you really uh, bore other people, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you have to be in the right company to talk about these things. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you do get a lot of experience from whatever those projects are. You, you do carry that experience with you. So I, exactly. I, appreciate, yeah. I appreciate that story. Uh, when I looked online and I look at your food analysis lab, I did notice that water activity is listed as one of your services. And I'm just wondering what, what types of companies that you mainly uh, get that you work with, if they're small companies or big, and if they're certain product types. Yeah. So um, uh, before I answer this uh, question, I would uh, want to uh, introduce a little bit of our program. It's called Startup FIU. So Startup FIU is a program that was started with the help of a number of different foundations. Uh, the whole idea was how we can help local community, especially uh, low earning community uh, under 25,000 of annual income, they can qualify uh, if they have a, a viable product idea. So we'll train them, teach them uh, basics of business, I mean how to budget something, you know, the finance, uh, business aspects. And then uh, my role in that pro project is how we can help them technically, I mean, their product development needs and then uh, uh, whether they are in compliance, food safety needs, and then registering their product with the local FDAX, uh, Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. You might have a different unit in your state. Uh, so we walk them through with the process. So basically, I am the guy for the uh, food product registration. So uh, we give them these services for free because, you know, we help the community. Uh, our cost is uh, covered by the foundation. Um, so if they are developing a product that falls under a category, you know, low moisture, uh, let's say cookies become a lot of people are making cookies, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, water activity is our first go. And then I teach them. It's not that we just get sample and then we would uh, give them, you know, a shelf life prediction. We would uh, teach them how this instrument works, uh, a bit of background, because everybody does not have that uh, scientific background. Some are, you know, uh, good professionals. They have jobs and they want to do this extra uh, side business. So we actually teach them. Some are great. They learn it and they, you know, adopt it. They come book our lab and they collect their data. We help them to, uh, you know, give them a bit insights of the data. And then um, local uh, food industry, they contact us for shelf life prediction. So we give them uh, this service. Uh, that's the main use of uh, water activity. And then, uh, of course, some uh, we have a, some national brands. You know, they are local. They have offices here for their R&D needs. Uh, they usually, either they want to validate their data or they just want us to do, create, you know, isotherm crumbs curve for them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, these are the two, three different, uh, you know, I would say type of companies that they are interested in this uh, technology and we work with them. And then one of my favorite questions for professors and, and something that I, I try to help, you know, people who are interested in graduate school are, is, are you taking any new graduate students at, at this time? Well, uh, I also want to introduce one of our program. Uh, like I said earlier, we have school of hospitality, so we don't have a food science program. Mm -hmm. So um, a couple of years back, uh, we introduced a new program 
uh, it's an undergrad program is called food innovation and entrepreneurship hmm. so it's a four year degree uh, a standard hospitality degree so first two years they learn all those foundational courses but in two the last two years of their uh, time at college so they have this off, uh, option to uh, choose a food innovation and entrepreneurship program so what this program does uh, we teach them industry facing skills and then we don't we do not have any prerequisite uh, needed for this program. So if you have a non-STEM background, you can still come and uh, join the program. So uh, there are four or five key, key courses and then they can pick foundational courses on chemistry or other you know, relevant courses from anywhere. Uh, but we teach them product development. We teach them, um, you know, um, we, we call it culinology because it's a culinary plus food science. So we merge them together. It's called culinology. Very few institutes in United States offer these courses, mm. about four or five courses. And then we teach them food safety. We teach them food quality assurance. We also teach them, uh, you know, some managerial skills like entrepreneurship, what it requires to run a successful food business. Uh, and then depending on their uh, uh, interest, they can go either core hospitality or, you know, they can land a job in uh, food industry. I have a very good success stories where my students, without having any formal food science education, they landed a good job because nowadays industry look for, uh, other than the degree, I, I'm not really <clears throat> undermining grade schools and the full-fledged food science degree. I'm a food scientist myself, but industry really look for if you can do the job, if you mm -hmm. really well-rounded and you don't have like only a lab acumen, you also have a business side of it. So uh, some of my students with very informal uh, working in my lab, plus these courses, they landed a great, good job, making more money than me, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, so we have uh, this undergrad program and then on graduate level, some of students are already working with me. So we are always open if somebody wants to work with us. Uh, and provided we have some funds and uh, if we have a project that's, that um, has the enough funds that we can put a student on, so we are always uh, ready to adopt students. So if anybody wants to contact, please feel free to contact me and depending on the opportunity, we can work with them. And I really appreciate you describing your program. I, I guess I didn't really realize, you know, that it is kind of different and that it has this business side to it. I, I of course, see lots of different food science programs, but this seems like a, a really exciting opportunity if somebody isn't, doesn't have that science background or if they want that entrepreneurship opportunity as well. So, so thank you for that info. And uh, sure. my last question to you is just looking ahead. If, if you could research anything, what, what would you like to be able to research? Yeah, uh, really, um, not because of, I'm talking to a water activity professional, but I have been thinking uh, from many months now uh, that we can do something in this space. Uh, we, we generate a lot of data uh, based on my expertise and the things I did in my PhD. I mean, I have developed this. Uh, I'm not master of this data science, but still I, I, I know the you know, the toolbox <laughs> which I can use. So I went thinking that we generate a lot of data on, you know, this uh, moisturized isotherm. We have uh, uh, relative humidity as, as, as a variable, temperature itself, moisture content. We measure all these things to develop an isotherm. And there is a very good mathematical background. We have great equations available, empirical models. Uh, but still they have that boundary condition. They are not that robust to use thanks to your company meter group that you have at software. But if we really 
take everything into account. Can we have more robust models that, you know, predict uh, end life or shelf life based on uh, type of product? You know, each product would have a different mm-hmm. uh, pattern of uh, moisture removal, I would say. I just want to use a simple language here. So if we can just feed that data into uh, an artificial or machine learning uh, environment, we might be able to predict more accurate models without using those uh, equations. We can always use those equations as uh, just to validate because those are gold standards now. But this will give us uh, more, you know, uh, a robust type of model that can a uh, bit forgiven type. You know, you know, you can use any type of food products. Well, in my lab, we use this um, data for two reasons, basically. Well, shelf life prediction based on moisture and uh, of course the ingredient optimization. So these two uh, engines can be development. This is, you know, it's very early stage. I, I don't have any idea. Maybe it's not viable. Or maybe people, people are already doing it. Uh, but I've been thinking about this one that we should, uh, you know, come up with the more realistic goals and try to collect more data because that will require a lot, a huge set of data. It will not be done with five, 10, 20 data points so we can collect data from different type of products and then put them together so the the model itself can predict based on the type of product like biological material or is a just a chemical product so that i have been thinking uh but i would definitely love to do i don't know when but uh, maybe somebody can just take this idea and do it I, i'm really open in to collaborate it's not just a some secret idea that i don't want to share <laughs> with the world but I'm open to collaboration if anybody want to work on this. And I think we're kind of headed in that direction now, especially, you know, here with Aqualab, we've started to form a, a really huge library of different products and, and start to separate that. And I've noticed that a lot of products can be grouped and we can make a model to predict shelf life. And so I think, like you just said, the more data collection, the more modeling and shelf life prediction that we do now, this is going to help us get to that point where we're going to be able to give R&D teams a lot of insights ahead of time on on what their shelf life may be or, or what their packaging needs should be. And and we've started that, but I, I'm really excited to see where that yeah, goes I think in if the future. It, that can be integrated with the, uh, a project management tool when they are planning their uh, products. So very early stage, they know mm-hmm. how their final product is going to look like. I mean, we have a number of tools, uh, one of your software as well, that I use very frequently. Uh, but if we have something more uh, general tool, so it will take a lot of R&D and, you know, <laughs> these uh, iterations out that we usually have to do, no choice. Uh, but that's where the world is heading. And mm-hmm. I think we should be thinking about that side. Well, Dr. Amada, I just want to thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being a guest uh, and we might have to touch base sometime in the future and and see what research you're doing. Uh, I really appreciate you talking about uh, your school and and its program and and how it's different from some of the other programs that we've highlighted. So thanks again so much for being on the show today. Oh, sure. The player is mine and I'm always available whenever uh, we can. We can touch base again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.